Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie, for not saying you can draw a picture of Dennis on the program to sign up for a feature with the pastor. That would have been funny, but Dennis is so frail. Um, I just want to say a couple things. I am personally thrilled that uh, Dennis and Gwen are not here. As you know, they're on a sabbatical that we've worked for a long time to convince him that he's worthy of and in need of, and we're thrilled that he is not here. But we're also thrilled that you are here, and if you're online uh, watching, we're thrilled you're here and promise that if you're not completely satisfied, we will refund your admission price. No questions asked. That's just how we roll. Uh, we're starting a brand new series, <coughs> which is always cool because you don't have to worry if you mess it up. There's plenty of people after you to like right the ship and put it back on track. Um, and that's what's going to happen today. The book of Philippians is uh, high on my list of favorite books, probably third of, in all the Bible, my favorite uh, books. It's a story of the Apostle Paul, a real live person who has been um, uh, sainted and revered and honored and pointed at from any form of Christianity all through the ages, and he's worthy of all that. But in the book of Philippians, he does something that, well, it makes the idiom fit. If he can do it, I, I can too. Because in Philippians, he is in prison on his way to death row for the heinous act of loving and speaking for the name of Jesus Christ. He doesn't resent it. He doesn't ask for pity. He doesn't fundraise for his misery for the church. He says you should count it all joy. He says that God is who He said He is always and forever. And from the book of Philippians, we derive the phrase that gets said a lot, but I'm not sure it gets meant very much. God is good and all the time. That's Paul's theme through the book of Philippians. Not writing from the Ritz-Carlton or a beach in Hawaii, but from a miserable prison in Rome, knowing that his next stop was death row. If Paul can have joy and talk about gratitude and talk about what he expects, uh, the, the reward, the benefit from personally serving Christ, and today if he can just define and claim God's promises, under those circumstances, who are you and I to think that we can do any less? So that's, that's what we're going to talk about today through the um, um, book of Philippians and the introductory Chapter 1. One of my original drafts of notes for this is let's start out and define what pressure is, or stress, or troubles, whatever word you want to use. Maybe get a whiteboard up here and we'd write it down. But I thought it was really a fool's errand. Because you know stress when you feel it. And you know pressure when you feel it in your life. And you know troubles and problems when you feel them. And Eric's pressure and stress, this is my son-in-law, by the way, is no longer my pressure and stress. Okay? And so just as that is true between us, there are things in your life that come and go and you just sort of brush them off like a, a gnat, and other people bear the weight of a ton of bricks from this very, very same event. So the point is not, what is pressure? What is stress? The point is, we all have it, 
what do we do with it? How do we manage it? How do we sacrifice it? How do we appreciate it? What do we do with it? So that's where I want to focus. And I want to do it in a strange way, sort of in honor of Dennis. Um, I'm not going to make all the points start with the same letter as he is wont to do. But I am going to use a vacation analogy. We're going to start at the end and work to the beginning. We're going to start with the third step, then move to the second, and end up at the first. Because I think the first step is the most important in today's lesson, and we'll, we'll get to that. Just like a vacation, you decide where you want to go, and then you chart the way, how am I going to get there? Am I going to fly? Am I going to drive? Am I going to take a train? Am I going to hitchhike? That's $5 a gallon. Am I going to stay home? I, I don't know. But we pick a destination. And so the destination will be down in the body, in the bottom of um, chapter 1. And normally when I have the privilege to teach, I consider myself a guide to help walk through questions that lead you to where the Holy Spirit wants you to lead. That's the most effective way I am helped and taught, and I just try to not be directed. But today, I am going to be a little bit more declarative. I'm going to speak what I believe is truth and ask you to join in, not because I say it so, but because Paul and the Holy Spirit and hundreds of passages in the Scripture believe and say it so. So today's message didn't come from a Google search. (laughs) It didn't even come from a really good book that I read. It has come from 62 years of living life, 54 of which I have tried to follow and walk closer with God than the day before. Today's outline, today's thought, today's meaning comes from the confidence that I have in my life. And let me quickly say, I am not all that. I fail in my walk of faith every day. So I'm not saying, oh, be like me. But I am saying what I have learned in my efforts to follow Christ, what I have gained from looking in the rearview mirror about the things I should have done, or, dang on, God was right, why didn't I? I want to encapsulate those and hand them out as a pattern, not Charlie Fairman written, but certainly Charlie Fairman endorsed. And we can follow Paul, and I can prove from my own life that this is true. Um, one last point that sort of ties in to the end. Dennis asked me to teach this back in January. So this has like been on the burner for a while as we've planned this. And Dennis knew, he knows, that Philippians chapter 2 is my personal single favorite chapter in the entire Bible. If I could only have one chapter, I'd take Philippians 2, right? So why didn't he ask me to teach next week? I don't know. And I'm not sure Dennis knows why. But he asked me to speak today on this topic in January. And I hope by the end of this service you will be as amazed at God's weaving 
of details as I am. Because God knew the intersection of life and the opportunity of today would fall squarely at this point. So Dennis didn't know in January. I didn't know in January, but God did. And so again, with that same confidence, God knows your tomorrow and your six weeks from now and your six months from now. And He knows the path of your life and the intersection of His opportunities. And that's why point number one where we conclude today is pivotal. And I ask you to hang with me till then. But let's pray because I need God's help and perhaps you do too. Father, it's um, an awesome privilege to speak on your behalf. But Lord, may I never, ever, ever think that these are my words or my story. God, this belongs to you. And I pray that you would help me speak in your care and in your love, but also in the confidence that you are exactly who you say you are. And you call us and you encourage us and you equip us. Sometimes you even beg us to walk in your shadows. And may we do that with the joy and the confidence that Paul talks about in Philippians. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the final goal, the final destination for claiming God's promises under pressure is found in uh, Philippians chapter 1. Verse will be on the screen. But verse 12, um, and the principle here is simply this. We need to embrace our pressure. I'll probably say stress because that's just more my lingo, but the title screen says pressure, so I'm going to try to comply. But you know what I mean. Troubles, okay, let's say it. Crap, okay? Sometimes we have to embrace our crap. But as a culture, as a human, you know what I do? I tend to ignore it. Or I tend to uh, hide behind it. Sometimes I tend to gain my identity from it. Sometimes I try to force it off on others and say that it's their fault. But Paul in Philippians 1 gives us the clear instruction to embrace it, to make it ours. In, in verse 12, let's read this. I want you to know, dear ones, that what has happened to me, and he of course means his arrest and trial and appeal and imprisonment and fast track to death row. What has happened to me has not hindered, but has helped my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it, God's plan, to expand and spread to many people. For now, the elite Roman guards and the government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I am here because of my love for Christ. And what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord and to be bold and passionate to preach the Word of God. All, and please circle this next word with me, because of my chains. Not in spite of, 
not God really had to work His way around this and then pull a miracle. God's kingdom was advanced because of Paul's pressures. And that only happened because Paul embraced it. He never said, unfair arrest. He never said, they didn't give me a fair trial. He never said it was rigged. He never said anything except God is using this for His kingdom. And I'm part of God's tool. So here's just a quick, how does that play out for us? Here's a quick tool that I want to just throw out there. We should never, ever, ever, never, of course we should never say never, but we should never say, why me? When you face it, your stress or your troubles or your problems or your crap, don't look at it and say, why me? Why me? That doesn't get you anywhere except farther in a hole that we say we want to climb out of. It doesn't get you any closer to the heart of God because you're not focusing on what He wants or what the bigger picture is. You're focusing on yourself. Instead, though, we should ask, why this? Don't ask, why me? Ask, why this? Why did God allow this set of pressures into my life? Is there something that I need to learn? Is there something that I can teach? Is there something in my life that God wants to showcase for His benefit? Is there someone who I can help because of this stresses, these stresses, these, these pressures that I am embracing? See, in, in my life, again, this is just experience, and, and I thank God for all of them, mostly the good ones, but the hard ones are worth thanking Him for too. So just this week, among all weeks, I had a $700 car expense that I wasn't planning for and a $175 tow bill that I wasn't planning for amid all else that was going on. And God is my witness as I'm waiting for the tow truck driver, not knowing exactly what the dollar amount was. I said, God, are you teaching me that I can live on less? Did, did I miss an opportunity to be generous and give? Was I blind to that? See, that's what it means to embrace, embrace our pressure. To not say, why is this happening to me? But to say, God, what are you up to here? Why this particular thing? Maybe, for me, one of the large stressors that's reoccurring is my schedule. I don't have enough hours in the day. I don't have enough time on the clock. I've got a lot of things to do and a lot of people to support and encourage and back up. And then there's my family to love. And I can't make that connection all the time. And when the stress gets really heavy and I feel guilty or I collapse from not having enough sleep and I find myself barking instead of loving, that's the time to say, why this? Why what are you wanting to teach me, God, about my priorities? What am I saying yes to that you want me to say no to? What am I totally ignoring that you want me to say yes to? Because that's the ultimate goal. If we want to be able to claim God's promises with regard to stress and pressure, we have to be able to see that they are God's tools to make us look more like Him. They just are. 
that is the stated purpose of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. To make us look more like Him. Sometimes He does that through warm embraces and kisses and beaches in Hawaii. I'm waiting for that one, but sometimes it can happen, right? Other times He uses 120 grit sandpaper on our souls and our emotions. Sometimes He has to get down and get the 80 grit sandpaper. If you're not a carpenter, that hurts a lot worse. I don't want to force God to hurt me more because I'm squeezing Him out. I want to run to God and say, this is a plate full of crap, but I'm going to ask you, why this? What in here do you want me to salvage and learn from or showcase? What do you? Maybe I'll get no benefit from it at all. What about this is special? If we can arrive to that destination, our vacation is complete. Our lesson about stress is complete. If we, if we get that, we can move on to the other things that Paul wants to teach us in Philippians. But until we say, I am willing to not just accept, but embrace the pressures in my life. Until we do that, God's promises, of which there are many, cannot be fulfilled. Not because He's weak but because we have not set Him in a place to perform what He wants to, to do. Never say, why me? But always say, why this? The second step, to get to the third step, which is really important and sort of the hub of Genesis' vision for this message, is simply to acknowledge our help. To know our help. Psalm 121 says, I lift up some, my eyes to the hills. From Where does my strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. Those are promises of God's help. And we need to acknowledge that. And this is just sort of a fast-forward thing. There's a lot of times in my life I don't allow God's promises to come to fruition because I never allow God's work to start. The, the key verse here is in verse 6. Paul says, I always pray with joy because I am, here's the word, circle this, confident, say that with me, I always pray with joy because I am, I am confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Sometimes we don't get to see God's finished product because we never let God start. We are too busy playing God so that we never get to observe God work. It's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier to manage stress as a spectator. I have never, ever, ever felt the weight of a million-dollar contract or bonus standing at a free-throw line for the NBA Finals. But Michael Jordan has. <laughs> there's no stress for me to watch. There's anticipation. There's hope. 
there's cheering against him, especially when he's playing the Pacers. I don't know, that's a long time ago, but that was when I quit watching basketball. The point is, if I don't have to step up on the line and let it all rest on my shoulders, it can be enjoyable to see it unfold. If we learn how to step back and have confidence that God's got this from the beginning to the end, we can navigate the stresses and the packaging of our life in an enjoyable way. I have an example. Dennis is very proud of all of his examples being free or cheap. Mine is not. So this is a brand new, latest iPhone. It has not been unwrapped. And so, when I first got an iPhone, I was very impressed by the packaging. I was enamored with it, spent a lot of time on it. Now, I know the packaging has gotten cheaper, but there are things in here that I don't know why they put in there. Like, why do they have a special little sleeve and a tool that makes it cost more? to remove the SIM card. I, I don't know, but they do. And everything is coiled up and nice. But this is what I'm after, right? Never once, when I pick up a phone, iPhone, and I've had probably six different iterations or maybe seven, never once when I unpackage the iPhone, and I know I sound like a fanboy, okay? And I know that you Android users are thinking, what is he talking about? Jesus had a word for you. He said, he said, I have many more things for you to understand, but you can't yet. <laughs> Never once when I have opened a new iPhone have I given any thought to, will I be satisfied with the product? Because I just know I am. I know I will be based on previous experiences. I know that whether the packaging is fancy and expensive or whether one time I got an iPhone handed to me in a plastic bag, a quart Ziploc plastic bag. It was a work phone here. This is, okay, God's work, the devices that we want in our life come in all kinds of shapes and packages. Sometimes the things that God wants, they're like packaged on purpose and they're pretty and they draw our attention. Sometimes they're like, really? A plastic bag? But if we have confidence in the... If I drop this, I'm in trouble. If we have confidence in the final product, does the packaging really matter? So I have to ask you this. No. I have to ask myself this. Do I have more confidence in an electronic device blessing my life than in the God of the universe? I'm sorry to say, sometimes I do. Sometimes I stress and fret and complain or wish for a different packaging to the point that I forget about the product that's at stake. And it's not because God is on holiday. It's not because the angels are on strike. It's because I don't have confidence in God's Word. If we, have to, if, if we decide that we want to claim God's promises in our life, stress or no stress, we simply have to decide 
to put our confidence in God. Regardless of the packaging, regardless of the timing, regardless if we can see the outcome or not see the outcome, we have to just decide that God's promises are true. And they rest on Him. Watching God work is so much easier than playing God. It just is. And you know that when you look in the rearview mirror of your life and you've tried to put your hands on things that you didn't like the packaging or you tried to go after something that you, you just know, right? And while the rearview mirror is instructive, God calls us to look forward to the kingdom He wants to build and the work He wants to do in us. So we have to be able to take that lesson from the past and apply it to the present. It's just so much easier to watch God work than it is to play God. So that's step two. Step one, where our vacation literally starts, is found in verse three. And in each of these verses, I've given you a word to circle. I'm not going to tell you the word just yet. I want you to think for yourself what the, what the word is. So step one is to simply personalize your solution. So we talked about embracing the pressure, acknowledging your help, and now we're going to personalize the solution. This one is the most important to me. So the verse in verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Just it. That's Paul's introduction to this lesson he's going to teach. I thank my God every time I remember you. Um, so again, I have an illustration. If my pressures in life, if my troubles in life, if the anxiety I carry around every day, if the problems that I can't solve, but I know they need to be solved, if they are represented by tired feet and sore legs, a solution would be a good chair, right? And we can go through life realizing that there are many, many chairs in our life. We like the colors. We like the style. This one's new. This one's old and used. Will it fit my decor? Is it within my budget? So maybe we'll decide through whatever means that this is the chair. I have moved from needing a chair and I have selected the chair. Are my feet any less tired right now? Are my legs any less wobbly right now because I have selected the chair? Your stresses, your problems, your troubles will not go away simply because you believe in God. You may even pick the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, as the God that will fix your problems. But it's not until you throw your weight on God that it becomes your chair. My chair. The world needing a chair 
is not enough. The world needing the chair is not enough. You and I need to find and declare my chair. It's personal. And I can't acknowledge God's help if I have not declared Him to be my God. And I cannot embrace the things He allows into my life if I have not first decided that He is my God. And it doesn't mean I have one cheek here and I'm braced my legs, you know, because it's like I have got to put the whole weight of this big carcass on God, believing that He can handle it and then letting Him do it. That is how we claim God's promises under stress. On June the 6th, 21 days ago, went in the hospital for a one-hour simple procedure on the back of her throat. She'll be home and in your own bed in less than four hours. We spent eight days in ICU, the first three of which I was not sure that I would ever take my life home. I know a little bit about stress. I know you do too. And I'm not saying that your problems are not big or that mine are bigger or better. I'm just telling you my story and how it works. <clears throat> and so I want to show you a text message that we received. This text message came from an adult woman, friend of Debbie's, who is very, very new to faith. And the thing that she is most conversant about is how do I convince my grandkids how do I give them the start that I never had? I don't want them to wait till they're 50 years old to find out who God is. And so we get this text message. <clears throat> I don't know how to say this, but your illness has done amazing things in my family. I've had the chance to teach my kids to pray, which has never happened. Heavy. I don't ever want to get another text. I am convinced that that text that came in sometime around the 16th or 17th started in our kitchen on June the 6th. We were packing a hot shot. My little book to read while she was in there for an hour. And I put my hands on my wife's shoulders and I said out loud, Father, this is my wife and I give her to you. I would love to have her back. But I give her to you. And we walked out the door. Can you hear me? Trying to say that I'm always 
I've been here for 40 years. I've hurt and failures and shame before God. On June 6th in my kitchen, I knew what I needed to do. And I needed to declare that God was my God. And He was my source of joy and hope, not my life. And because of that, I believe God keeps His promises. That's the point of Philippians chapter 1. God keeps His promises. When we know how it works, and when we don't know how it works. When it's the path and the playbook that we sign off on, or the one that we would never, ever ask for, God keeps His promises. So we're going to wrap up today with an exercise. <clears throat> because I believe that a mental decision, when it's tied to a physical act, makes the bond between your soul and that decision just a little bit stronger. So in your program, there's a card that says, I will. This week, I will. So we're going to have a music video play. The band's not going to be up here. We're going to end a little bit differently. But I would encourage you to find a pen and think about the steps that we've talked about today. Just pick one. Just pick a starting spot. Maybe you need to start at point three and say, I'm going to embrace the stress I have right now. I am going to examine my priorities because I can't pack another thing into my life. Maybe you say, I am so tired of wrestling with finances, I'm going to ask God what this is for in me. Not in my spouse or my kids who do or don't spend like I do, but in me. Maybe in a relationship, you will say, I am quick going to list all the things that's wrong on that half of the equation, and I'm going to use this stress to look at me. Write that down. Maybe you need to acknowledge that you spend more time playing God than watching God work. And you, this week, I will acknowledge God's promises. That's freaking awesome. Maybe you need to start on step one. Whether you've been a believer for 103 years, you actually signed the occupancy permit for Noah's Ark, that's awesome. We still need to decide that God is my God every single day. And maybe that's something you've taken for granted. And you, this week, I will make God my God. Write that down. That's, that's a way to do it. A second step beyond that, if you want to be a little bolder, if you'd like to have an email of encouragement saying, you got this because God's got this, put your email on there, and I will send you something this week. Maybe you want to be really, really bold. Maybe you're deciding that it's time for me to quit saying that a chair is good enough. The chair won't quite work. I need to make my chair. There are some folding chairs scattered around. Maybe you just simply come up and say, figuratively, <laughs> but in spiritual reality, I am throwing all my weight on God's promise. 
this video is going to play. Give us a, just a few minutes to process and think, and we'll be back for lunch.